Well, again, welcome. If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to turn this time to Proverbs chapter 2. We are in the book of Proverbs, and we're going to probably be in that for a little while, looking at different glimpses or ways uh, of God's work in our lives when it comes to wisdom. And that's what the book of Proverbs is really about, in essence. What's a wise person look like? What does it mean to be wise in life and understanding? Because whether you realize it or not, you and I all have some level of wisdom. Uh, You might think others are more wise than you, and that's probably true of uh, most of us. But we all have some level of wisdom or thinking. In a sense, everybody has some kind of bottom line philosophy of life, don't we? There's something that really motivates all of us. It could be something as simple as this. Don't waste your life. That's a philosophy of life. That's a piece of wisdom. Don't waste your life. Or maybe it's the importance of discipline or or achievement. And then again, it could be an idea of the importance of love and affection in relationships. It's really important to learn how to care. There's other realms that we see this kind of wisdom and philosophy all over the place. It could be in coaching or athletics. The coach... The coach is there to inspire the team with, un, with unifying motivations and callings, things that are bottom line. We're in it to win it. <laughs> That's what we're here for. That's the purpose of every athlete and every coach in life on a team. You're in it to win it. Oh, we're weary of that in Philadelphia, our fans, aren't we? <laughs> Please start winning, you know, that kind of thing. We want to do it. But think about it, the cry, the cry of every human soul, in essence, it's, it's to do something with this life I have and not try to waste it in the process. You know, even non-believers, whether they believe it or not, even non-believers, I believe, have a God-ordained reality in their heart of hearts to do something and endeavor to find out what life is all about. As I mentioned, this can take all kinds of forms and directions. But at the end of the day and at the end of your life, there will be a bottom line philosophy of life that people will remember about you and me. They'll think about things like, what were you hoping in and living for? What drove you to make the decisions you made and do the things you did? Again, we're not necessarily focusing on those monumental accomplishments, but we're talking about the day-to-day realities of life, how you and I responded to relationships, to jobs, to politics, to pain, and so on. The book of Proverbs is a book of life for us to understand. So let's look at these first 11 verses of chapter 2 and get a context as well. Hear now the word of the Lord from Proverbs 2, verses 1 through 11. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, If you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. 
For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth, and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of the saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you. That's a rich picture of the essence and the effect of wisdom, of, of the soul of a wise person. And again, much to be said here, but keep this as a backdrop. Think about this. A life, a life of wisdom and obedience is first a heart captured by the love and wisdom of God. A heart of obedience and wisdom is a first, first a heart captured by the love and wisdom of God. So as we continue in our study on the book of Proverbs, I have to remind you at this point, as you see these kinds of proverbial statements, again, see that these are not merely another set or subset of rules we have to obey to get God's grace in our lives. That can never happen. You can't make God give you that grace. These, uh, these Proverbs really are a reflection of a life captured by God's love and wisdom. The wisdom of God, like our sanctification, is a lifelong process that we pursue. And I would suggest to you that too often you and I default in life to make sure we're performing well and keeping in God's graces. Yes, that is absolutely essential for us as Christians. You, have, you and I have to live a life of holiness and gratitude. But what is our bottom line philosophy or reason for living this way? Oh, friends, let's not just try to live a good life to keep out of trouble. <laughs> let's live a life, a wise life, to know our God better and his son in particular. This section in Proverbs 2, I think, is another rich picture of the essence of what wisdom living involves. You want to be wise? You want to understand life? Take another look at just these 11 verses. The style, as I've mentioned, the style of literature of the Proverbs, I find it a very helpful learning tool for me personally. I like to read these because they're kind of pithy things. Sometimes when I have to read a lot of writing and, and I try to glean the lesson Honestly, I feel like I can sometimes I get lost in the details or the facts. Do you ever do that? What am I supposed to get from this? I just read it twice and I don't get it. Uh, you know, I think it's good to follow a storyline like the Gospels, but sometimes there's so much going on, it's hard to prioritize or remember what I'm supposed to remember. And much of what you'll see in the, pro the Proverbs they're written in the form of couplets. That means two lines making one thought, okay? That's a couplet, like poetry. It is a simple poem that gives a single thought to consider. So look at this. Look, you can look at any of the verses I just read in our passage, 
and you see a precious piece of a puzzle that can stand alone as well as be a collective part. Look, look for example, at verse 11. Just pretend we didn't read the others. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you. You don't have to think long and hard about that, do you? Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will go. There's something, yeah, I think I can get my head around. I want to be able to understand and be discreet in what's going on. So I want to use that couplet idea in unfolding this passage for us as well. I want to have two sides, two sides of a coin, two issues to look at here of the soul of the wise person. And the first side will be simply looking at this. We're going to look at the cry of the soul of the wise person. What's the cry of the soul? And then we're going to look at the blessing of the soul of the wise person. I would suggest to you the first four verses focus on the cry while the rest of this passage fleshes out the blessings of, of the reality of how that works day in and day out in your life and mine. This really is, it's another beautiful description of the heart and life of one who is seeking to know God, to love God, and to live for God. The wisest person in the world is somebody who's saying, I want to know God. I want to grow with God, and I want to live for God. That's the wisest person you'll ever meet. So in addition with that whole idea, I want, I want to borrow an approach to our understanding of the heart of the believer. And I'm borrowing it from the writings of Jonathan Edwards. He's a prominent, he was a prominent 18th century preacher and theologian in New England, had a powerful influence on this country. He wrote extensively about the experience of the Christian and the ways God's spirit works in the process of salvation and sanctification, becoming a Christian, growing as a Christian. And then one idea in particular I found helpful in his reading was how he described the heart that consists of three essential factors. But when I say, how's your heart? What am I really saying? He kind of unfolded it and suggested there are three essential aspects of your heart. They are the mind, the will, and the affections or your emotions. When you think of the heart, it's three precious entities there. What's in your head? What are you thinking? And then what's in your heart? What's your, what are you feeling? And then the will. What are you doing? <laughs> they all work together. <clears throat> the heart of every human being is engaged in things they believe, which will be reflected in what they do and the passions or the emotions that affect them. It's like a three-legged stool that everyone sits on <laughs> and lives by. So let's look with that idea in mind as well. Let's look now at the cry of the soul, the first four verses here. Let's understand what is the cry of the soul of the wise person. Look at that opening phrase. Isn't it interesting? Solomon is addressing it. My son. My son. I have to confess, every time I read this, I think it brings immediate memories to me of my son, Matthew. <laughs> my son, Matthew, when he truly left home to take his first job in Maine. Who goes to Maine, right, to work? My son did. So he's done college, worked for a few years, lived with us for a while, and then said, Mom and Dad, I found a job. I'm leaving. I'm going to Maine. 
<clears throat> this was not uh, just, hey, you're graduating, let's go celebrate for a while and hang out. We were really saying goodbye. Not just for a season, but in a real sense, we were leaving that parenting role we had for well over 20 years. Sending him out to that world out there for good. Oh, what do you say, Matthew? Sit down. Before you get in the car, sit down. And I remember, I actually, I actually read this passage to him. And I'm sure he appreciated but I'm also, he was also aware that his mother and I were struggling. We're sending our son out into the world. My son. My son. What do you say at a time like this? What do you want him to remember? So much to say, so little time. This passage, in a real sense, was our prayer for him. We wanted Matthew we wanted the cry of the soul of our son to be a soul that was crying out for wisdom and understanding that would affect his mind, his will, and his emotions. We wanted him to be captured by the love and understanding of God. Oh, friends, the cry of the soul of the wise person assumes, it assumes this, they really want to know. I hope you notice in these first four verses a very small word in these four verses that sets up the soul cry. The simple word is if. <laughs> if. Solomon repeats this in the opening verses. Did you see that? If you receive, if you call out, if you seek. That's almost not just a condition, but this is the basis of the cry. Why would you cry? Do you want to? You've got a hunger. If you hunger after God, if you cry out to him, the soul touched by God, oh, the soul touched by God is the soul that wants to be touched again and again and again. You will also see this as a picture seen throughout the scriptures concerning a growing relationship with our God. The prophet Isaiah tells us, what does he tell us? Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Oh, hunger and thirst for him. And we hear Jesus tell his followers, ask, seek, knock, go after, have a heart that pursues your God. That's an underlying assumption. You want to know and understand your God better and his call in your life every day. I also think we see this displayed in this section, a, a picture of a beautiful marriage of, of the mind and the emotions or the affections. We see in verse 1 the primary condition of how that is established in the mind. Did you see that? Look again at verse 1. My son, if you receive my words... And treasure up my commandments with you. We are called to receive and store up a treasure chest of God's word, aren't we? You want to be wise? Hunger to know God's word. Many of you, many of you in this room have memorized the classic verse that confirms that work 
in Psalm 119, verse 11, and perhaps many of you have done it in the King James Version. You can say it along with me. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Let's say that again. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. The mind, the mind must be married to the word as our primary means of understanding. If you want to cry out and understand God and his wisdom, have a treasure chest of the word of God in your mind. Yet look again at this section to see that wisdom is is not simply acquiring information or memorizing laws to obey, is it? The pursuit and understanding of them, did you catch it, must engage our emotions or our passions. They have such an influence in all of life, don't they? You and I are emotional people, some more than others, (laughs) but we are emotional. And your emotions, your feelings do affect you, do they not? You can't ignore them. They have an impact on us. I would suggest that verse 3 captures that well. Look again at verse 3. Yes, if you call out for insight, raise your voice for understanding. We are to call out. We are to raise our voice. That comes from a heart that is stirred and yearns to know and understand. If you just coldly say, I like to know God's word, it would help me. (laughs) What does that mean? But if you say in your heart of hearts, God, I want to know this. I want to understand it. Help me. Help me, my God. You know, yes, sometimes this cry, it really is, if it's not, it's it's in the midst of a crisis that feels like it's a desperate situation. I need help now. God have mercy. And that's a good cry in the midst of those kinds of times. But please don't limit it to that. That's that's not the only time we should be calling out and, and raising our voice to God. This, in a real sense, it really should be our daily call and our daily prayer. We see that fully played out in the life of Jesus, don't we? The embodiment of wisdom. You talk about a wise person. Look at Jesus as he walked among us, that same Jesus, and hear me now, believers, that same Jesus who now actually lives in the hearts of his people, he is the one we should be seeking daily. Listen to another proverb of Solomon. When he personifies wisdom, he gives it a a name or a person. In in chapter 8, he says this, I, meaning wisdom, I love those who love me and those who seek me diligently find me. That's Proverbs 8, verse 17. There's a little bit of passion in there, isn't there? A little bit of emotion. Those who diligently seek me will find me. Oh, friends, the cry of a soul is one who wants to know God personally with everything within them, their mind, their will, and their emotions. The truth and wisdom of God comes from the heart of God and must affect our hearts as well. But that moves us now to that second aspect. We come now to that second idea of a wise person, the soul of a wise person is one who cries out with all that they are. But they also is the person who receives the blessings 
that come along with it in life. You cry out, here's the guarantee of what you will receive. And, and this passage contains, I think, some very rich promises to those who truly seek the Lord in life. And verse 5 is one of those pictures. Again, look at verse 5. What does it say? After you do these ifs, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. That's kind of the culmination of those first four verses, isn't it? Most commentaries see that as, as this is a two-section piece here that this build up to the crescendo of verse five. Verse 5, you, you will be blessed with an understanding of God personally in your mind, in your heart, in your emotions. You will not only know God, but you will understand what it means daily to fear or honor him. Please don't look at fear as like something to cower and run from. <laughs> to truly fear God is to revere him. I want God to look good. The more I know God, the more I don't ever want to shame him. I want you to look good, God, and let the wisdom of my God penetrate everything about me that I might honor you. There are many things to consider here about the sole blessings of wisdom, but let me just highlight three of, of the many qualities I think that come along here with us. The first I think we can look at is, in, is implied in verse 7. And that is simply a growing sense of integrity. A growing sense of integrity or clarity of conscience. The more the wisdom of God is a part of your mind, your will and emotions, the more you will walk with truth in what you think, what you do and what you say. In the world, integrity. The psalmist says that we come to God with clean hands and a pure heart. That means we come with integrity, with honesty, with truth. I'm not playing the performance game. I want my life to reflect the truthfulness of God. I want a clear conscience in what I do, think, and say. And I say that, friends, because if you're like me, our motives are not as pure as we think they are. Amen. You and I, we do things for what we think are the right reasons, but if you start pressing that, maybe your motive is not as pure as you think it is. Maybe your conscience shouldn't be as clear as you think it is. So a growing awareness, a growing awareness of God's wisdom will keep us honest before him and then before the world. That's a rich picture of what wisdom gives us in verse 7. But I think a second aspect if not of, of what we see in that blessing of godly wisdom, I think it's a growing assurance of God's watch care, his watch care over you. The greater you have your roots deep in the wisdom and the knowledge of God and his person in your life, the greater hunger for not only integrity, but the greater confidence that he is watching over me. Verses 8 and 9, I think, capture some of that with, with phrases. You catch that? Phrases like guarding your paths, watching over the way of his saints. That doesn't mean God just tokenly saying, oh, I've got to watch, they don't get in trouble. I'm with you. I'm watching over everything in your life, a growing wisdom, a mind and a soul that is established in God has a growing confidence. He is with me. 
He is not only watching over me, he is with me. You know, there's a similar expression of this promise in a a Christian chorus that simply says it this way. God will make a way when there seems to be no way. (laughs) He is with me that much. When it looks so desperate, I don't know what I'm doing. God promises I'll make a way when it looks like there is no way. I'm watching over you that closely. This is an oft-repeated theme in the book of Proverbs, this watch care And it is, in many ways, the essence of Christian living. And I think it's perhaps most clearly expressed, again in Proverbs, the next chapter, chapter 3, another very familiar section, a passage that you should remember, 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And he will make straight your paths. He will watch over you. Trust in him and not yourself. What a powerful picture of a soul who is established, who is blessed by God. But I would suggest a final picture of another blessing is found in our final verse, verse 11. The wisdom of God The wisdom of God will bring not only that integrity and that watch care, it will bring a growing discretion, discretion and understanding of what it means to live a godly life. Friends, that doesn't mean you're going to be smarter than other people. It's going to mean you'll have a better understanding of what life really is all about. And you want to reflect that in every area of your life. You will think twice about things. You will be discreet in what you think, do, and say. That must affect everything about you. Your desires, your needs, your pains, your disappointments. You want to look at them through the filter of God's wisdom and love for you. And you want to, be, you want to have discretion. You want to think twice. You want to think about how this is honoring your God. So what do we do with all this? How do we see this soul of the wise person, of one who cries out, one who is aware of the blessings that come from that wisdom? What should the place of godly wisdom hold in your daily life and mine? What's this got to do with tomorrow morning? What does that mean? As you and I call out to God with sincerity and trust, What will be happening more and more? As I mentioned to you, I think many of these couplets could stand alone. I think that the bottom line experience is found right in front of us in verse 10. Look what happens. For wisdom will come into your heart. And knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Isn't that what you want? As a professing Christian, what do you want? I want the wisdom of God to abide in my heart, everything about me. I want my life to be consumed and captivated by Jesus Christ and his love in my life. I want the wisdom of God. And as I have that, that knowledge will be pleasant to my soul. Oh God, this is what life is about. 
Forgive me for looking to so many other ways. Would you be my life? To have your heart and mind and emotions captured by that. And now more than ever, my friends, now more than ever, the true followers of Christ are the ones who in a real sense, you can't get enough of Christ. Listen to how the Apostle Paul, one of the greatest followers of Christ, listen to how he describes his pursuit of Jesus in Philippians chapter 3. Listen to what he says. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on. That's a strong Greek word, a pressing on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Oh, I can't get enough of understanding the depth and the riches and the mercy of my God. Think about it, fellow believers. You and I are living in an unprecedented time in our history. The world desperately needs wisdom and discretion. In our own country, in our own country, there is great anger, great fear, Great confusion. And it seems like everybody has an opinion and a solution, don't they? This is particularly true even among professing Christians who seem to be divided as well. It's ripping us apart in every way. Oh, friends, the sovereign God who rules all, he is our only hope. But in the meantime, we must As Christians, we must be united in crying out for wisdom and understanding, not just in life in general, but in our own lives personally. You probably remember there was a movement years ago in the church calling people to live as Jesus lived. There were even bracelets with the letters WWJD, right? What? would Jesus do? You know, we can never, we can never live the same life Jesus lived. But as followers, we are called to be like him. And we can never, never really do that without the wisdom of God living in our hearts, growing in that wisdom and knowledge. Oh, Christians, myself included here, let's take seriously the call of Christ, not only socially in how you live, but personally, that others would truly see Jesus, the wisdom and love of Almighty God. Amen. Let us pray together. Our good and gracious Father in heaven, thank you that You not only understand, but you are the answer to what we need. And we cry out. Let our souls truly cry out for the wisdom of God, for the presence of God, for the honor of Jesus. Oh, Lord, let us have ears to hear, hearts to obey, and wills to live that way. God, do that work. Even now, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.